Welcome to Public Intellectual. Public Intellectual is a podcast supported solely by its listeners. So if you would like to contribute to our Patreon and get the usual Patreon stuff, go to patreon.com slash public intellectual. We don't really have serial killers anymore, not in real life anyway. They peaked a couple decades ago and have been dwindling ever since. But we have a lot of them being used to entertain us. There are multiple television shows that imply there are so many serial killers in our society that if one were captured and murdered per week, they'd still be in plentiful supply. And of course, all of the serial killers are very clever and dress very well and prefer very complicated and sadistic traps. I think I remember an episode of CSI where someone is put in a glass coffin with a live stream and a lot of gadgets, but I am pretty sure I watched it on pain meds while ill, so who knows. David Fincher's Zodiac is a corrective to all the serial killer TV shows. Rather than focusing on the killer, who is revealed midway through not to be some sort of evil genius, but really just a stumbling oaf. Zodiac focused more on the men who become obsessed with solving the puzzle of who the guy is. It's much more about the imagined power of the serial killer in our culture and in our nightmares than it is about the power of the serial killer in real life. I have seen this film a lot. It has more in common with a film like Spotlight than something like Dirty Harry or even Fincher's early film Seven or an episode of CSI with a glass coffin. But part of it, and the reason why I think I keep going back to it, is that while it is about the pursuit for truth, it questions why the truth needs to be known, why truth is important above all other things. I invited David Reese the author of the much-beloved Get Your War On comic, and the host of the former show Going Deep, and a lot of other wonderful projects, to discuss the limited number of films that have a political cartoonist as a hero, and deconstructing male archetypes, and which is better, serial killers or cults? Do you know that more people die in the East Bay commute every three months than that idiot ever killed? He offed a few citizens, he wrote a few letters, and he faded into footnote. Not that I haven't been sitting here idly waiting for you to drop by and reinvigorate my sense of purpose. It's four years ago, let it fucking go. You're wrong. It was important. I think that Zodiac might be the best movie that Fincher has done, but nothing happens, and it's and it's understandable why no one went to go see it, um, because apparently it, it bombed. Not as bad as Fight Club bombed, but uh, it left the theaters really quickly. But it's three hours. It's a serial killer movie without necessarily a serial killer in it, and there's no emotional resolution. 
Yes, I agree. It's a movie about epistemology, so it's a r- runaway box office smash. They should have changed the name to Epistemology. Yeah, exactly. And then everyone would know what they were getting into. Um, right, so it's supposedly about the Zodiac Killer, and I just learned, because I'm, I was doing a sort of dorky deep dive, that each time the serial killer Zodiac is on the screen, it's played by a different person. Ah, which I find very interesting. That's great, so that nerds can't, like slow down the film and like take screenshots and be like oh it's this right okay. yeah. yeah that's really smart so the, yeah so the guy that plays the main suspect Lee um, isn't the one doing the murders and not and every time the, the Zodiac calls anybody it's a different, it's a voice. different voice got it I love um, that yeah he's so anal David Fincher is so anal I guess so controlling guy well the thing I always remember hearing about Zodiac was that he infamously made all the actors do like 300 takes per scene and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was not into it. Mark Ruffalo which I guess comports with my impression of Mark Ruffalo as a person was like, hell it's his vision and it's nice to see the world through somebody else's eyes but I think Jake was like this is bullshit. Yeah, he gave a bunch of interviews saying that it was bullshit. Yeah, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. So. And I liked Fincher's response which was um, somebody asked him why he was doing so many takes with, uh, with Jake and he's like, I don't find Ernest to be interesting. Um, which I kind of liked um, as like some nice passive aggressive um, in- insulting going on from the director. That makes me think less of David Fincher because <laughs> I respect earnest people. I think that's why I like Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie because he is, well, I mean, there's a lot of earnest people in this movie. I guess you could say the Zodiac Killer is earnest. The two detectives are very earnest, very deliberately, I think, and Jake Gyllenhaal's character is earnest. Yeah, I if 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 David Fincher doesn't find Ernest interesting, he's probably pretty bored by Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we could we should maybe say a little bit about what the what the movie is, um, just in case there's like some nutcase who's um, listening to this without without knowing, um, because it's always interesting to listen to two people, uh, you know dissect a movie um, without having ever seen it. But um, right, so it's about supposedly about the Zodiac Killer, but not really. It's just about everybody who becomes obsessed with the Zodiac Killer. So there's uh, Robert Graysmith, who's uh, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and he is a political cartoonist who for no reason becomes um, wildly obsessive with figuring out who the Zodiac Killer is. Uh, there's the detective, uh, David Toshi, uh, played by Mark Ruffalo, and then there's Paul Avery, played by um, Robert Downey Jr., who's the reporter on it. And the only one sort of left by the end of this three-hour uh, saga is, is, is Robert Graysmith, the cartoonist, who, can't, right. who cannot let it go. I think in some way this movie is about three modes of inquiry or three different ways to approach the unknown because the three characters, the cartoonist, the journalist, and the cop, or the de- detective, they all have different approaches. And in the end... There's yeah, like you said, there's one man left standing, and even his, even his victory is not super satisfying. Although Jake Gyllenhaal does satisfy the conditions that he laid out to his wife, which is just like I just want to look him in the eye. Mm-hmm. Like anyway, but I didn't mean to interrupt the plot summary. No, that's okay. it. That's that's the entire plot summary. Right. Cause really, because nothing happens. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, yeah. They they go into dark alleyways. They talk to suspicious 
sounding people. Um, they hunch over uh, this code that the Zodiac has made up and is printing in the papers. Um, and they talk endlessly over diner coffee. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the whole movie. Oh, and ruffling through boxes of files. That's the other. Boxes mm-hmm. of files. Yeah. yeah. The other primary mode of action. Not as, I would say the, f- I love a sequence of file box r- rustling. <laughs> it w- but have you seen Spotlight, the Boston Globe movie? Yeah, that no, also I has love it. I some. I found that thrilling. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible yeah. when they start putting together the files, the priests' um, leaves of absence or bake or whatever it is, sick or what. I mean, it's, yeah. it can be exhilarating. Yeah, which I think is the point of the movie. It's like, on the one hand, nothing happens. On the other hand, one of the characters does seem to solve one of the most vexing mysteries of the decade. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think what's great about the movie and and why I like it, even though when I try to remember it, I can't think of anything really <laughs> other than one or two set pieces is that it's uh, a process movie, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's like an action movie of the mind, you could say, because it, there there aren't any car chases really. And aside from how many how many murders do we see? Three? Three. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the only things that come close to action sequences, really. Um um, yeah, yeah, it has, I think, the scariest murder scene that um, I've ever seen in a movie. The lake. The lake. People find that extremely unsettling. And every time that I mentioned that I was going to watch the movie and, and, and do a podcast about it, everyone's like, oh, the scene by the lake really fucked me up. Um, Why is that? Because it's so still and bright and there's no shadows? Because it's not made, I think part of it, it's, it's not made sexy at all. Every time I see a murder in a movie, they're trying to make it sexy with the lighting or the blood or something. Mm-hmm. There's none of that. It's just you can't really see what's happening. The focus is so tightly on um, the couple. Right. So you can't really see what the Zodiac is doing. Um, and it's not even clear at the beginning when he starts stabbing him that that's what's happening. Right. And then you only kind of realize, oh, fuck. Um, right. In the kind of way that, you know, obviously uh, they're figuring that out. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of like it puts you um, in the perspective or from the viewpoint of the victim, whereas in so many movies you're uh, you're coming from the perspective of the killer, mm-hmm. so you're feeling like in control of the situation and so on. And this feels just kind of out of out of control. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the the thing that when I was watching it this time, I think I've seen this. I think this was the fourth time I've seen it. Maybe maybe three to- third time. The thing I kept noticing, or the thing I, the thing that jumped out at me is, um, well, there are very few women in the movie. I had actually forgotten Chloe Savini was even, yeah, that that character even existed. And I, I, you know, her character's role is kind of to be like, you're, you've gone too far, and then to divorce Gray Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I noticed in the first two murders, the one of the young couple on the Fourth of July, and then the lake murder, is that the woman in each case, especially with the lake, does a better job of recognizing a threat than than the man does. Mm-hmm. That the, the woman is kind of locked in on the nature of this kind of menace. And then also, uh, one thing that struck me was that line of dialogue when they're analyzing what's happened and why he's so sloppy with the men. And they say he gets so distracted by the women, he forgets about the men. And mm-hmm. he really does seem like you don't see it, but he does seem like he preys on women. Or, I don't know. There's like an interesting relationship between the women to the Zodiac. Then the guys are kind of clueless. Although the kid in Fourth of July is worried because he thinks, because his date mm-hmm. is having an affair, he's worried that it's 
her husband who's driving by in the car and shining the headlights on them. Right. But she never, the, the young wife never lets her guard down. She knows something's wrong. Right. It seems like the men think that they can manage the situation. So the guy at the lake thinks that he can talk his way out of it. When he's like, buddy, I'm a, so- I, I'm a, what's he say? I'm a sociology major. Yeah, I, I can, can help, help you. It's <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's there's a couple, there's a couple amazing little jokes in the movie. My favorite as a former editorial cartoonist is when somebody says to Jake Hall, well, we don't talk to writers or whatever Disney says. I'm not a writer. I'm a cartoonist. <laughs> This is one of the few American movies where editorial cartoonist is given a proper due as a as a contemporary hero mm-hmm. mode, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I always really responded to that part. There are very few movies about cartoonists these days, so we take what we can get. Yeah, the thing about the wives. Um, uh, now I can't remember the the name of the movie, but one of these like you know Tom Hanks saves the world movies saves the world from evil and mm-hmm. he has to go do he has to go do this thing and then his wife is like do you do you have to save the world from evil like what about the kids what what is about it da Vinci dinner? no it's oh. like um one of these spielberg ones where oh, okay. he has to go to germany bridge of spies yes right. yes and so his wife is like please don't save the world right right um i made i made casserole um but it's such a um standard for these types of movies of the wife you know, saying, please don't solve this murder. Please don't save the world. Mm-hmm. Please don't, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it's slightly more interestingly done here because it's clear that for the most part that this is like a fool's errand. Zodiac isn't really killing anybody anymore. Um, he didn't really kill that many people if we're like on the scale of, you know, how serial killers are, are, are doing things. Um and But she's not really given anything else to do except for to kind of, you know, um, try to get in his way of solving the thing. Although when they have their first date, which is a great fumbling scene, she's she's kind of down for it. You know, mm-hmm. she's intrigued. Some might think it's a red flag, but uh, she goes home and crashes on the sofa while he waits for Paul Avery to call when Paul Avery has gone off to chase down an anonymous tip. But then, yeah, at some point she kind of gives up. But I kind of think it does. The thing that's interesting to me about this movie is it doesn't it doesn't really matter like in the in this movie Chloe Savini is basically the wife to the wife like Jake Gyllenhaal is the woman of the movie because you see him very deliberately left out of those initial meetings when the zodiac has been contacted he is low on the pecking order at the at the San Francisco Chronicle because he is an editorial cartoonist you mm-hmm. know he's like the lowest of the low so he's constantly trying to angle his way into these conversations and and getting pushed out uh, even though he has a skill set that winds up being useful, mm-hmm. which Paul Avery finally recognizes when they when Paul Avery, Robert Downey Jr.'s character says, "Let's go get a drink," uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal says, "I like puzzles. <laughs> I like puzzles too." So Jake Gyllenhaal's pushing <laughs> all my buttons in this movie. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal is is also just as an actor has a very feminine, can have a very feminine quality mm. he's big doe-eyed yeah. wide open face um he's the only character in the movie who you see living as a parent because he's divorced and he has kids and you see him take his son to drop his son off at school and scramble to make lunches or whatever so he you he has a domestic life more than any of the other characters ruffalo's married but you never see him really engaging with his wife right. other than his wife saying tell all these people to stop calling in the middle of the night which right. is another, yeah. another wife, wife, wife right yeah. um 
so I kind of take back when I said that there are not many women in the movie because I think Jake Gyllenhaal is is the woman, and maybe that's maybe that is maybe I mean maybe that explains the fact that there is no final ac- action sequence or grand violent finale. A that didn't happen in real life, so you can't mm-hmm. put it in the movie. But then B something about just the persistence and the inquiry that he's interested in, and he doesn't. It's the difference between solving a case and solving a mystery, mm-hmm. right? By the end of it, for him, it's almost just an academic exercise. He just wants to know, right? Which is why I said it feels a little bit like different approaches to understanding the world or mm-hmm. navigating through a mysterious and violent world. And in the end, he's, he, you know, he's the most diligent. He's the most obsessed. Uh, and so he's the one who you know, goes to Ace Hardware and, and looks at the guy and just kind of sizes him up and is like, this, this motherfucker was a Zodiac killer. And then just turns and walks out. So, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like if it was anybody else, it would have been some sort of, vi- you know, like a fisticuffs or, or him, like, stepping up to the Zodiac Killer right. and trying to alpha male Or even him being or, like, I know what you did. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I know what you did last summer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because um, I know you haven't seen Mindhunter, but uh, he does a, Fincher does a kind of similar setup there where the detective is, or the FBI agent is... Um, uh, also kind of presented as very feminine. He's mm-hmm. very open, receptive. Like he, he sort of like uh, leans forward when he's ta- when he's listening to people and uh-huh. sort of you know mirrors their um, uh, posture and that kind of stuff. Um, but then it, he becomes throughout the the series sort of uh, infected with this the toxic masculinity of, of the serial killers and starts taking on their habits and oh. language and stuff and, and it be, like, leads to this kind of full nervous collapse uh-huh. um, yeah I really like that show but uh, I think Fincher as a whole is very interested in not violence itself but what violence does um, mm-hmm. to a society and to um, a per, uh, you know a bystander or uh, the detective um, trying to figure it out or that kind of stuff. He's not that interested in um, as terrifying as the sort of the lake scene is. The violence is very kind of understated and um, minimal throughout the film for you know for a serial killer movie. Yeah. It's not, he's not reveling in it I don't think and I think you're right Zodiac is very much just about the after effects of violence and how they play out and how different people react to them. Um, I do think there's another scene that is, it's not violent, but it's extremely scary. And it's the only scene I think that is actually shot like how you would expect a horror movie sequence to be shot, which is the scene in the basement with the old movie posters, which is <laughs> so epic. Uh, and when Jake Gyllenhaal is struggling to leave the house and then the, um, guy steps into frame through the mirror that's a very that's the only moment where you feel like horror movie cliche yeah uh and i wonder if that's done deliberately to subvert our expectations and be like this is a movie about a serial killer and the only time you're going to get that kind of jump is like a guy trying to leave the house of a harmless weirdo who loves old movies or something i don't know yeah i so i i like that because the movie is so it's weird the movie is very stylish i don't know what but i don't know why i would say that because it doesn't have a lot of technical flourishes, really. You know, like right. Apparently, there's a ton of CGI. There is, in it, uh, yeah, but it's all extremely subtle. A lot of the some of the exteriors, the neighborhood where the taxi driver is killed was was 
recreated in CGI and, and the great overhead tracking shot of the taxi is CGI mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the reasons that the movie feels dreamlike is because there is this kind of uncanny valley stuff going on with some of the footage and the characters do kind of appear to be in a dream space mm-hmm. um, and that coupled with a lot of really slow tracking shots and the kind of a lot of the muted palette and the and the fact that they are constantly discussing violent acts but you like you said you don't really see a lot of violence also feels kind of dreamlike to me mm-hmm. and then also when I try to remember the movie there's a lot of I can't there's twists and turns in the investigation that I can't I can't remember because sometimes it does feel that there's no real reason for this information coming up now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it, in my mind, it kind of, when I remember the movie, it feels like remembering a dream. You know, well, there are these guys looking for this guy, but you never actually see the guy. And then all, and then, and then everything stops for four years and then they see a piece of paper and it starts up again. But one guy isn't working on it anymore, but he tells the other guy, it, you know what I mean? Like that right. kind of, yeah. the the mistiness or like the the sludginess of it becomes very dreamlike to me which i think is why i like it so much you know yeah um yeah but then these very precise details that i remember of you know whole conversations happening around how the zodiac wrote his k and whether that it was done with two strokes of the pen or three strokes of the pen. Right. And I remember these long conversations, and that's the only thing I remember is, like, the K is super important. Well, it's so it's extreme specificity and detailed-oriented work coupled with an overall formlessness almost, which I guess is true of the human experience in a way. It's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like I can look at these very specific headphones and, you know, your notebook there on the table, but in the grand scheme of things, I'm just like floating through a void of <laughs> terror. And, and you know what I mean? But I yeah. feel like that's in a way, If the, I feel like, like we mentioned earlier, like I think in a way that's like one of the main points he's making is like uh, this, this investigation is, is, is about a very specific person who was killing people in a very specific time and place, but it's also just about like how do you make sense of the world? Mm-hmm. Like the world is really huge and unknowable and can be very menacing and and very threatening and very scary and and specific acts have specific consequences, but your experience of it, you might just feel overwhelmed, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is why you it's so easy to empathize with Jake Gyllenhaal's character. He's divorced, maybe he's in over his head raising these kids, and, and he put channels all of that into trying to solve this, solve this case. And again, not to arrest the guy, not to exact revenge, but just to lock down this one thing. I mm-hmm. just want to look him in the eye. I just want to know, you know? Yeah, like I want a story that I can understand, like a linear story that right. I can understand, and, and the impossibility of, of even doing that. Yeah, I think that's true. Although he succeeds in the end. But even then, like, he succeeds in sort of figuring out who the person is, but there's so many other things, like how many of these murders did he actually do? Like, that, all that is sort of left um, uncertain. Um, So, yeah, it's... um, This is basically a movie about my relationship to the Trump-Russia probe. (laughs) Let's cut through all the bullshit subtext. I'm Jake Gyllenhaal. Zodiac is Putin in collusion with Trump. Mm -hmm. Uh... 
Mark Ruffalo is playing Robert Mueller. <laughs> and then the other model of inquiry is uh, Paul Avery is, uh, who's that going to be? The Steel Dossier, right? <laughs> <laughs> the guy with all the flash of razzmatazz. Yeah. We've got a P-tape for you, boys. Like, you're going to love what you see. You know what I mean? And then in the end, 20 years from now, when there's still no definitive answer as to whether they literally colluded to swing the election i'm gonna still have all my file boxes out and my fiance is gonna be walking out of the house like come on get over it so that's what it's about but that's a real life example of the same type of thing right you know it's uh, an experience that that is simultaneously filled with very specific details right Mm -hmm. very high stakes and yet it as of this recording, still kind of shrouded in mystery and nobody really knows. And there's all these different theories. And some of the theories are sober and and kind of hedging their bets. And then others are really wild and out there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and then yeah. you have all these experts weighing in like, well, Don, he went to the hotel meeting and they blah, 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 blah. You know, like and this con- and every new revelation kind of resets your position or it's kind of like there's a diorama and you've moved to a new angle and mm-hmm. you can see, you know, anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny because I think the first time I saw this, um, I, you know, went on the internet after and decided to look up all of these sort of um, databases on who is the actual Zodiac killer. And some people were really upset about the movie because they had already decided that it could not possibly be this guy. Right. Um, and uh, here are all these other alternatives, and here's all this evidence supporting that. And then there's another website that uh, says, oh, but it can't be this person that this other person is sure that it is. So it continues on in, the, in this uh, confused state. Um, and also my favorite thing about the Zodiac Killer in general is that there were there was more than one book that somebody wrote that said my dad was a, was a Zodiac Killer. So more than one son or daughter looked at that and was like, yeah, my dad probably murdered a bunch of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to write a book about it so that I, I can no bring idea. solace. Well, you were mentioning before, I don't think we were recording yet, but you mentioned something that was really interesting, which is that Fincher, tell me that thing you told me about how he cast the the killer in the... Oh, right. The fact, yeah, yeah that so that each, um, uh, uh, in the actual scenes uh, of the of the killings, each murderer that you never see except for as a sort of um well in the lake scene he's wearing a hood and in the first scene uh, he's only a shadow it's a different actor um so i think there are four um because then there's somebody over the phone too right yeah um yeah so they're all different and i did i didn't know that but i makes me like the movie even more because because fincher is making it you cannot the viewer even Mm -hmm. the savviest viewer with blu-ray dvd and like and can, who can pause it and take a screen cap yeah. or something? Even they can't solve it because there is no fact of the matter mm-hmm. as to the individual identity of the person throughout these throughout these scenes. And we never see one of the suspects, right? The um, they they sort of get distracted by this other suspect that Vallejo or something has decided is um, is their favorite right. suspect. Right. Uh, I have it written down somewhere in my notes, but I. Richard or Robert or something, um, but we never see him at all. He's he's not given a, um, a sort of visual representation. I think the only suspect way. you see is Lee. Right. You yeah. see him in the incredible scene in the factory break room. It's so scary. He also said that you made statements about killing school children. That is that is horrible. That is that's a horrible thing to say. So you aren't angry about being fired from Valley Springs for touching your students. 
I'm not the Zodiac. Well, that guy, I can't remember the name of the actor. He's a great actor. Did you see a movie that came out last year called The Invitation? I fucking love The Invitation. I'm getting goosebumps. That's one of the best movies about the 2016 election that was made before the 2016 election. That movie is incredible, and yes. he's incredible in it. And yes. that movie, you don't have to put this in the podcast, but I'll just tell you right now. Mm-hmm. That movie has one of the most moving and powerful lines that I've thought about constantly since the election, which is when they're when they're in the middle of the rampage and the the hero and his girlfriend are hiding in the garage Mm -hmm. and she's totally freaking out and he says remember they're just people i find that so emotional it's incredible i get goosebumps when i think about that that movie is amazing the movie is amazing although when it first set up uh i didn't know anything about it other than somebody I, i like that director uh katie uh uh what's her name kusama i think that's it yeah um I really like her, and so I, I went to go see it not knowing anything about it, and then the guy who played the Zodiac Killer is in it, and I'm like, oh, fuck me. This is not going to It's go not going to well. end well when Homeboy shows up at your dinner <laughs> don't, party. Don't invite the Zodiac looming, Killer. Looming over everybody, and then talk about how he accidentally killed his wife. You're like, ugh, uh. this is about to start sucking. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and he, he in that scene, um, okay, so one of the things uh, that I like about it this movie too is that it's in kind of every other serial killer movie that I can think of and and the television shows like Hannibal and Dexter and everything else the serial killer is a mad genius right um and in that scene where they're interviewing him and certainly that that sort of aura begins at the uh, at the beginning of Zodiac as far as like he's writing these these codes that are tricking everybody and, and all this real kind of smarty stuff. pants super smarty pants but right. it's revealed in that moment to just be terrifying because he, he's not a genius and yet he's kind of been outsmarting people um, or not outsmarting people but just sort of um, avoiding um, being caught so far um, but he's not a genius like he Again. Took his name and his symbol from a watch. Just like the, it's just like Putin. People think Putin is this chess master, puppet master. He's no. just an amoral thug who can recognize weakness and exploit it. Yeah, and that and that becomes very humbling and disappointing because it's like, then this asshole's the one who ruined everything, and he's not even right. a, he's not even Lex Luthor. Yeah, we you know? want to think that the person who's kicking our ass is just smarter it's, than right, us. Right, exactly. It's like on 9-11 and Osama bin Laden, you know, it's like, he, he, was, he wasn't a genius. Like, it was an audacious plan. They pulled it off. It's kind of incredible. Like, <laughs> and, But I think there's a lot of parallels between 9-11 and the, and the election hacking where I'm sure when they came in and told Osama bin Laden, like, Osama, like, those knuckleheads fucking did it. He was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Both towers? Are you fucking kidding? And same with Putin when they were like, dude, Trump won. Putin must have been like, no way. And then he sees and he's like, oh, my God, this is so easy. I think it's the same kind of thing, though, you know, yeah, and it's kind yeah. of like with the Zodiac. He wasn't a super genius. Man, I used to watch that show Hannibal. I really liked Hannibal. But... That show was so, I watched it, but every episode was the same where <laughs> it would start out where some serial killer had killed 50 people and then stacked them in a huge tower on the beach. Yeah. And then the genius <laughs> serial killer analyst would come by and be like, I think he's trying to get attention. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> it's fucking a mountain made out of dead body. This is his masterpiece. He's taunting us. He's, really? Einstein? He created this with intention. Yeah, he exactly. intended to do this. Yeah, he it wasn't a, a haphazard. He filled a silo with a bunch of dead bodies and when you take a photo from the top, it looks like a human cornea. It's like... 
Yeah, I think you're right. Like, come on. It just got so silly. I mean, I love yeah. that guy, that actor, the Hannibal actor. Oh, yeah. Cheekbones guy is mesmerizing. <laughs> guy. But it is kind of like after a while, just like stop with the just make the show <laughs> close up shots of human livers getting cut up and cooked. Yeah. And him in his amazing suits. So, his suits and, are uh, so good. Yeah, anyway. And his apartment. It was a little, was a little nice. derail. But, um, yeah. yeah, Zodiac, the killer, is, is not a genius. And again, I mean, I mean, if it is a movie about knowledge and making your way through the world, that's, you know, that's the, that's the comforting and discomforting thing at the same time, which is that the enemy or the cause of this chaos and the and the source of this violence and and it, uh, its huge rippling effect is not the greatest supervillain who's ever lived. It's a person who probably has mental, you know, was a result of his environment and has mental problems. Probably, you know, just you can apply that to many many things in current current state of affairs yeah and it's weird that the serial killer at all became a kind of anti-hero of our of our time uh, when when he sort of emerged into the culture immediately he was sort of seized upon by um film and 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 um books and everything like that of being um you know there's this really good book uh Lustmord, um about the rise of the serial killer in in weimar germany um about how the serial killer and the killer of women became a cultural icon. Um, uh, suddenly, artists were depicting sexual murder. Uh, Otto Dix did um, a lot of them. George Gersh did a lot of them. Um, Berlin Alexanderplatz uh, is a book about, um, has a lot of sexual murder in it. Um, and so all these kind of things were emerging into the culture. And this was, um, men were like, yeah. Yeah, I identify with that guy uh, who cuts up women, and um, um, it's not clear. I mean, in a kind of like, sorry, I'm like derailing this with like bluebeard theory, fairy tale theory, and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's always been part of our culture of the, um, you know, men who kill women. Uh-huh. Um, but certainly, it didn't have the sort of exalted. This is so interesting. We need to understand this. We need a new serial killer every week on our television program that we can sort of hunt down and, and find. Do you think the serial killer phenomenon is kind of the 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 zoom out analog of the Zodiac phenomenon, which is that in the end, the dirty secret is like serial killers are not actually that interesting. And at some point, people are going to get bored with another show about a guy who does a specific thing to dead to women. And then we have to analyze, oh, he's a loner. He thinks he's smarter than everybody. He's probably white male, maybe sexually frustrated. Yeah. Like single mother raised by a single mother or abusive father. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like I have seen a lot of a lot of movies and TV shows now about deliberate murders of women that have kind of an artistic. Oh, sure. An artistic part of it. You know what I mean? Like uh, True Detective had that. Yeah. S- Silence of the Lamb. Well, it, I guess he wasn't artistic. He just had like a little art installation in his basement. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the Hannibal Lecter, sort of the genius, um, charismatic serial killer. Right. Zodiac very deliberately is not Hannibal Lecter. Right. Right. Yeah. Hannibal Lecter is the most urbane and sophisticated and well-read enemy you could ever hope to match wits with mm-hmm. and the zodiac guy and again sorry i don't remember his act the actor's name he does such a good job at just kind of having a blank and he has a, a curl of the lip that's kind of just surly and and kind of defiant and ignorant you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's such a it's such a good performance i it's it's really unsettling like you said when yeah. you realize like oh the schlub oh fuck yeah you know? yeah because there's no sort of um uh reasoning with somebody who's you know, if somebody does has an intelligence, then 
there's the possibility of conversation and, and engagement and, and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I right. guess I think that maybe that's misguided. <laughs> well, that, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Who's your favorite character? Uh, Paul Avery. Right. Um, figures. Figures, yeah. You like these bad boys. Sort <laughs> of charismatic alcoholics. Um, what do you think of his descent? I mean, I guess it's true to life. It did it did happen. And mm-hmm. we should say that Fincher and, and the screenwriter did a lot of original research and a lot of original interviews. Like, mm-hmm. to their credit, it sounds like they really did kind of want to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Paul Avery's descent, I guess, is based on truth. To me, it feels a little... Well, I don't know. I guess it's a way of, I mean, we can't we can't say that there's authorial intent and actions that really happen. But in the movie, I would say that Paul Avery's descent into alcoholism and all that stuff is kind of like, it doesn't, it, it, I think it's triggered by the Zodiac reaching out to him directly, mm-hmm. right? Right. Which is why he, and also personality characteristics or whatever, like Jake Gyllenhaal drinks, uh, what are they called? Mai Tais? What's the froofy drink he drinks? Oh, the, the pa- blue ones, yeah. the blue aqua? Yeah, aqua <laughs> velva. Oh, aqua Right, yeah. yeah. And Paul Avery is, uh, you know, doing coke and all that stuff and smoking cigarettes and drinking really heavily. But I, that, to me, when he, that, once that trajectory started, I remember feeling like, I know this is going to be kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just going to get worse and worse. I mean, it's fun. It's, it's, me- it's, uh, you know, it's riveting because it's Robert Downey Jr. and he's an amazing actor. But to me, mm-hmm. I don't know the the descent. The, those descent narratives also feel kind of familiar. Even right. Jake Gyllenhaal uh, going crazy and having all his boxes and I got to solve it. I don't know. Yeah, it, that also feels very familiar. I think which is one reason that I really like Spotlight mm-hmm. because Spotlight, like Zodiac, is a process movie. But because they are doing their job. And they, obviously those reporters and investigators have emotional re- reactions to what they're reporting on. Mm-hmm. Ruffalo also gives an amazing speech that's really powerful, I think. But they all are able to more or less hold themselves together. Ruffalo, I guess, does he have his wife who leaves him or something? Anyway, but uh, to me, that's the that's it's nice to see people go all in on something and not lose themselves in it. Right. Because it feels less romantic mm-hmm. and it's also... Uh, more inspirational in a way, I think. Right. Do you know what I mean? Just yeah. like people doing their job. is It can be really cool. And so in Spotlight, everybody does a pretty good job and keeps it professional. And then in Zodiac, two of the three investigators, mm-hmm. Paul Avery and, and Gray Smith, kind of lose it. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I kind of liked the, uh, the coming apart of Paul Avery, if only because um, his... I, I, I do think uh, be one of the reasons I like Fincher is because he kind of plays with masculine archetypes. Um, and so he's sort of presenting maybe like the Hunter S. Thompson archetype yeah. that's made to look super cool. Right. That he's fucked up all the time yeah, yeah. and, and kind of sexy in, in the in the fear and loathing um, uh, movies and books. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet in this one, it, it's, uh, it, it's not, I mean, it's sexy or funny for a couple scenes and then it quickly then it gets, gets sad. He's yeah. on a houseboat. Um, yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He and his face goes gray and, and he's watching Pong play itself. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Specific <laughs> cultural reference. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, so wait, do you say you like Paul Avery because that character kind of collapses and the and the then the bad boy swing and dick archetype kind of just falls apart and you see it's kind of fragile. Yeah, you know? I like it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I like Jake Gyllenhaal's character the best because he's a cartoonist and, uh, you know, he's you know he's a little he's a scrappy little guy and he gets and he gets the job done and um, yeah I don't know but they're good they're good minor characters too. The the yeah I don't know. Well, the Brian Cox character. I love Brian Cox. Oh I forgot God. he was in it. Melly, the attorney. I think I can help you. Or, <laughs> he's so, he's always so awesome. Uh, yeah, he's really funny. Uh, yeah, can I mention one thing, sure. which is that this so Zodiac came out in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Two thousand seven for movies, uh-huh. for a very specific type of movie, which I would call non-dumb movies for guys like me, <laughs> which is the best genre of movie. Sure, was there's never been a year that came close to listen to these movies. Zodiac. Mm-hmm. 310 to Yuma, the remake of the classic Western with Russell Crowe and Christian Bale and Ben Foster. Great contemporary Western. Mm -hmm. There Will Be Blood. Mm -hmm. You might have heard of that. (laughs) No Country for Old Men. Mm -hmm. Great movie. Mm -hmm. Gone Baby Gone starring Casey Affleck. Another completely mesmerizing uh, mystery movie. Have you ever seen Gone Baby Gone? I have. I love that movie. I'll watch that movie all day and all night. (laughs) I don't give a shit. Okay. Assassination of Jesse James by that coward Robert Ford, which is Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck. Michael Clayton, George Clooney, Mm -hmm. and um, Tim, what's his name? It's not Tim Dickinson. That's a... Uh, Oh, Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson, yeah, who is a a genius actor. That movie's amazing. Uh, We Own the Night, Joaquin Phoenix, which is a cop movie, a period cop movie that has an incredible climactic car chase in blinding rain. It's so incredible because it's a car chase where you can't really see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then 28 weeks later, the second installment of the wonderful zombie franchise. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That was all in one year. It's incredible. (laughs) Jessa, how do you not love all these movies? It's a good good year for men. It was a wonderful year for men. It was about (laughs) as high time that men had something to go look at at the movies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um... Yeah, sorry, I got distracted by the Casey Affleck thing. Oh, come on. I'm just kidding. The sexual assault. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a hard time seeing, uh, hearing his name without um, choking a little bit. But um, uh, Do those types of things ruin the experience of a movie? Can you not look at the, the actor anymore? Um, actor, yes. More so than kind of um, director, maybe. Because you're literally looking at their face. Yeah, you're looking at their face. Yeah, yeah. looking at their face, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's a lot of men. That's a lot of men in a, in movies. Well, I want to make it clear: those aren't the only movies that were released that year. Right, right. Those were just the only movies that were any good <laughs> that were released that year, and you can draw your own conclusions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I do feel like that was a year. I mean, and a lot of these movies are, you know, self consciously, I'm sure, but kind of like the Thinking Bros action movie, or right? The, yeah. The a, a murder mystery for a guy who also listens to NPR. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like they're yeah. not bludgingly, bludgingly stupid. Right. So I think that's why it's interesting. And also kind of like withholding, a lot of those are kind of withholding satisfying resolution too. Gone Baby Gone has a famously complicated ending. Yeah. Uh, to its credit. And um, Michael Clayton also. I mean, yeah, a lot of them are very Zodiac-like. It's you don't get the big final explosion where the Transformers fight Captain America in Manhattan and, you know, the city is ruined, but at least the good guys win or whatever, you yeah. know, whatever passes for a satisfying yeah. uh, movie these days. I don't I don't know what happened. I can't wait for Hollywood to start 
considering my desires and wants again, maybe some good movies to watch because I can't remember the last time I saw a good movie like that. Anyway. Now it's all just TV, so. Um, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. And there are a lot of very self-consciously sober mysteries now on TV, right? Mm -hmm. like, yeah. I watched this. I watched Ozark, which was about um, uh, Jason Bateman having to launder hundreds of thousands of dollars in like two days in, <laughs> in the Ozarks. And then I watched Broadchurch, which was a British police mm -hmm. mystery. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and then um, oh, Happy Valley, which was another British police mystery. I don't know. There's a lot of right. whatever. I'm just wasting my life is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, even with Mindhunter, all the serial killers are already in jail. Oh. So they're interviewing serial killers to figure out uh, the impulse behind it and the, and the sort of shared experience and how they can kind of figure out what's going on since it's, um, you know, the, the sort of new kind of killer that's emerging in the right. culture so that they can understand it and prevent it and so on. But yeah, everything happens when the mystery is already solved. And there are a couple of like minor mysteries along the way, but they're not, there's no sort of the overarching story is the just talking with serial killers and huh. trying to figure out what's going on there. It makes sense to when you mention that, that serial killers are so overrepresented in, in crime fiction or pop culture because the serial killer is custom designed for a three-act structure mm -hmm. because they keep doing it. And they leave little clues and have to. I mean, it's yeah, perfect for mysteries. Clues. Yeah, it's like you'll never. This, I'm I'm saying this seriously. I'm not making a joke. Like you'll probably never have a great series about a mass shooting event because it's an it's usually a one-time event mm -hmm. that comes out of nowhere and 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 is is done. And right? the guy dies. And the, right, usually the shooter usually the shooter dies. So you're not even going to have the sort of the the trial storyline. Right. Exactly. Um, or you finally caught me. You know, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Police, I left you oh all my the God, clues, the right? Oh, my God, Snowman. Did yeah. you watch The Snowman? No. I did not watch The Snowman, but I've read so much about The Snowman. I've read... Is he, is he a serial killer? Yeah, okay. um, who leaves women's heads on top of snowmen. Oh that feels so 80s. That feels so <laughs> schlocky. I was watching the trailer, and the only way the trailer even made sense to me was if it was a satire of right. um, of right. a serial killer movie, but it, I guess it wasn't. I guess really? it was like a legitimately sincere um, a story about about serial killers. What's your favorite movie about serial killers, other than Zodiac? Um, I don't know if I have if I have a I don't know. Do you do you have an answer to that question? Is Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> a serial killer? Is he a serial I don't killer think he or is, is he a mass murderer? I guess he's a mass murderer. I'm not sure that would be my favorite. Um, I yeah. don't know. It's interesting. What? I don't know. I think, I mean, I like mysteries a lot. Um, I like puzzles, to sure. quote, to quote uh, Robert Graysmith. But something about the serial killer stuff, as I get older, I, I can't. I have less and less patience to see women getting chopped up and, and um, traumatized and stuff. I right. mean, I'm at the age now where it's just like, I don't want to see it. I'll watch right. I'll watch really violent movies. Um, like another great movie that came out last year was Green Room. Did you ever see Green yeah, Room? Yeah. It's another great movie about... About the Trump yeah, election. To yeah, totally. Yeah. And about <laughs> ineffectual, ineffectual left resistance. Mm -hmm. or You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, incredible movie. Extremely violent. Um, but, but it's not sexualized violence, right? right? And it's not, um, 
predi- it's not predatory violence. It's not mm-hmm. a stalking violence the right. way you have with serial killers, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think serial killers, maybe I'm not that interested in anymore. Yeah, I don't know if I was ever really interested in... Um, no, that's not true. Because I've... But maybe not in movies as entertainment. I, I can get fascinated in a stupid, like, podcast way or in a stupid, like, Wikipedia right. one after another kind of way. Um, but as far as entertainment goes as film, you know, I, I know women who watch Law & Order, Special Victims Unit, and I don't know why they do yeah, that. Yeah, right. That's the one with all the sex crimes. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's the Dead Prostitute of the Week right. TV show. Um, and I don't understand why why. And well, you know, they catch the killer, and, and it and it brings a sense of resolution to the world. It's right. like, yeah, but you're still watching, you know. It's always like the woman with the the dead corpse with the legs akimbo, and the and the one heel off, and the other one still mm. on the and the the torn stockings and the eyeliner right. all over the place. Um, it's very sexualized death. Right. Um, and I don't know why anybody watches that, especially if they're a woman. Well, I remember in the '90s when I lived in Boston, and there was a pre-internet fascination with serial killers, obviously. And I remember that, um, who's the killer who wound up painting? John Wayne Gacy? I think John Wayne Gacy in prison painted paintings. And yeah. there was a, uh, a curiosity shop where I lived in Alston that sold indie comics and rat skeletons. And, you know, also great, it was a great shop. But I remember they had a John Wayne Gacy painting for sale. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, that made me uncomfortable because, like, everyone was, you know, I can't remember what zine it was. It was about serial killers or whether there was a special edition. But I remember a lot of people had this big catalog of cur- serial killers. And mm-hmm. that uh, that curiosity, the lurid curiosity that you can have. And I've definitely gone down Wikipedia holes about gruesome things. But some, for some reason, selling a painting made by a serial killer just felt like that's got to be bad karma, right? Like, yeah. Like, there's not enough sage in the world that you can burn in your right, house and it was a, and it was a painting of like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves or whatever. It was just like so on brand for a serial killer. It was just like a weird, childish, you know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, anyway, yeah. but I'm just remembering back in the '90s that maybe that was because in the '90s I would have been in my 20s, so that would have been the age maybe when I was fascinated with that stuff. But at some point when you read that stuff, it's just like I don't feel good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, I'm, I I was always more into uh, cults. So Jonestown. Oh, and I'm Gate. in my cult yeah. phase right now. Yeah. Oh. Are you listening to the Heaven's Gate podcast? No, I don't. Oh, it's really good. It's just it's new. Really? It's just called Heaven's Gate. You can find it. It's cults, good. cults. I think have a lot of the same appeal as serial killers, even though operationally they're so different. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess maybe str- narratively it can have some of the same stuff, which is like, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse until it was unsustainable, and then it fell apart, yeah. or everybody drank the you know the Kool Aid or whatever. But cults, to me give me some of that same shivery stuff that serial killers do, but I think they're more satisfying to me because it's easier to think in political terms about a cult because a cult is sort of a political organization, mm-hmm. right? It's an intentional community with a power structure or a organizational principle. And a serial killer is just like a guy who got beat by his dad and wants to wear women's skin or whatever. Like it's, <laughs> I guess objectively you have to concede that's interesting, but yeah, it, but yeah. it's not interesting like, it's not the type of stuff that I, it's not the way I see the world usually. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. I like thinking in terms of organizations and institutions. And obviously, cults are great for that mm-hmm. because you can be like, oh, you know. And also, cults are usually, you get with cults the same thing that you can get with a serial killer, which is a, which is a, 
a semi to extremely competent evil mastermind who may or may not be charismatic and mm-hmm. holds these people under their under their sway. Mm-hmm. You know, you so I so if I still want my bad boy anti-hero, I can yeah. still get him except this time he's got 50 ladies in jumpsuits all doing his <laughs> harvesting his kale and doing weird sex favors for him. So cults for me are better than serial killers. <laughs> if David Fincher made a cult movie, I would be quite intrigued by that. Yeah, I would definitely be into Although, that. is that what Fight Club is? I've never seen Fight Club. Is, is Fight Club a cult? Uh, it's less of a cult and more, I think it's a movie about the formation of the alt-right. Yeah. Um, I've always had a real bad, visceral reaction to Fight Club. In my mind, having never seen Fight Club, <laughs> never read Fight Club, and having many people tell me, "God, dude, it's actually pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Chuck Palahniuk and Fight Club and all that stuff to me is like that's where that's where these alt right motherfuckers yeah because isn't that where red pill comes from uh, or no that's no, the that's matrix, matrix which also is like the the dumbest smart movie ever made <laughs> yeah. do you know what i mean yeah matrix is pretty stupid yeah i mean it's kind of interesting the first time you see it and he comes out and he's like oh fuck dude but then that they go and put on those goddamn leather trench coats and have wraparound sunglasses. Like, you can wear whatever you want, right? Or I can't remember what. I can't remember if we're in the video game or they're in the video game or yeah, yeah. where everybody is. But it's kind of like those sunglasses and the way they act. It's like, this movie is dumb. You are seeing a critique of this movie's intelligence played out on the bodies of its principal <laughs> actors. Like, that's heavy, you know? Like, yeah. that's really interesting. That doesn't happen all the time. But anyway, Fight Club, yeah, I never, I never saw it because I felt like, I don't know. I'm so cucked. It's like, I don't want to see a movie about a bunch of secret badasses who are rebelling against capitalism by beating the shit out of each other. I don't know. It's, right. it's, it gives me a bad feeling. I don't know why. I think I associate yeah. it with the 90s. Did it come out in the 90s? Uh, or, 99, or? I think. Maybe? Okay, so right around Y2K. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about Michael. Oh, right. We're, yeah, we're yeah. doing a whole other one. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, the only thing I was going to say is that it, I think the film itself is ambivalent about how it feels about what's happening on the screen. Like it's 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 trying to sort of criticize um, a, speci- a specific form of masculinity. And yet it's also kind of into it. Um, right. Right. So it, it sort of romanticizes it as well as sort of condemning it. Whereas I think Fincher or his writers or whoever have gotten smarter about it. Um, so in the work that he did after that, it's it doesn't have that kind of ambivalence. It's more of a, um, he has some, but I think also Fight Club might just be what happens when one of your best friends looks like Brad Pitt, you know, because Fincher and Brad Pitt were became very close friends. Oh, really? And then that's just maybe how you deal with um, your best friend being that uh, handsome. Yeah. Right. When I saw, you don't have to keep this in, obviously, but one thing that when I saw Seven once, because everyone was like, Seven, you got to see Seven. It's so heavy. It's so heavy. And overall, I liked it. But there was one thing. It's kind of like the equivalent of that John Wayne Gacy painting hanging in my friend's <laughs> shop, which is the thing where when he's going to kill somebody for the sin of lust and they have that Polaroid of a knife mm-hmm. dildo or something. Yeah, it was like dildo. you never see it in action. But I was just like, that's so disturbing. Like, fuck you for putting that in a movie that I, that I went to go see. Yeah. It feels so... I don't know how to explain it. And maybe, again, I've mellowed with age. I mean, I saw that whenever it came out. It was a long time ago now. But still, it was kind of like it felt so nihilistic and kind of like gleeful. Like it's kind of like the like the equivalent of like a Neil LeBute play where it's like, I'm going to show you the dark side of humanity. And yeah. if you don't think it's good, it's because you're a wimp <laughs> yeah. or you're living in denial. It's like, I just don't want to. 
yeah. don't want to see Everybody. a grown ass man like we all know. Like I read the newspaper. Fuck you. You're yeah. not a, you're not a sage to make me see how horrible people can be to each other. Yeah, everybody wants to do this secretly. Yeah, Deep right. Down. Exactly. Everybody it's like like no. we all have our our like predilections and stuff, but like no, actually, a lot of people are pretty fucking normal. You know <laughs> nice what I mean? Dick doesn't come in. Yeah, a lot and of it. so yeah. just seeing that it kind of made. I mean, I've seen a lot of Fincher. Well, I don't know if I've seen a lot of his movies, but that to me felt kind of really immature in a way i don't know there's something about it rubbed me the wrong way and i and like i've said like i've seen plenty of movies of women getting chopped up it's like i don't mean to be like a like uh i'm not saying i don't like to have fun at the movies <laughs> jessa i'm just saying something about that particular image mm -hmm. the fact that you knew it was going to be so shocking and so violating to so many people it's just kind of like i don't know yeah. but but i like i really like zodiac maybe because in a way it's the exact opposite of that you know mm -hmm. I think probably a lot of people were really disappointed at how understated and slow and uh, un non unviolent most of the movie is. You know, it, to me, it feels like a really mature movie. I really like it. Um, I was watching or I was trying to watch American Horror Story um, and I can't remember which season it was, but they deliberately the Ryan Murphy directed the episode and he sort of deliberately stole or tried to recreate the um, uh, lake scene. Um, oh, like really? shot it in, in kind of the same way except for he made it sexy like he couldn't help it he didn't have that kind of the restraint or the um, you know hold over sort of his unconscious dark urges or right. whatever yeah, the fuck yeah, it yeah, is yeah, that, yeah. Fin that Fincher did eventually accomplish um, and so it made it cheap and disgusting um, and right. I can't watch American Horror Story everybody says um, it's brilliant and amazing and I think it's I think it's gross um, I've never I seen it. It's cheap. Really? Yeah. I resent now. Now we're just getting into old, old fuddy-duddy roundtable. <laughs> I resent how violent and unsettling their images are in on subway platforms. My real pet peeve these days in my dotage is disturbing images in public places that mm -hmm. any that anybody can see, and they're not asking to see it. And the only reason they're forced to look at it is because the fucking semi-privatized the walls of, of a public good you know mm -hmm. what i mean and now i gotta look at a fucking skull with a dick coming out of the eye socket and it says american <laughs> horror story nine or whatever it's yeah. like I, fuck you you know what i mean like <laughs> i don't know you know? i've never seen american horror story that's what i'm trying to say yeah did you watch true detective i watched the first season mm -hmm. and i got really into it i loved carcosa and i loved the yellow king and i definitely went down some internet rabbit holes about that <laughs> yellow king uh I, I found the ending like most mystery endings it'll never you can't there's so few endings that can give you the sense of satisfaction and and uh and uh energy that the mystery gives you when mm -hmm. everything is still up in the air and the fact and then the liter the the literal the what do you say the literalness of the ending was kind of a letdown you mm -hmm. know I mean, it was a good, it was a, it was creepy, mm -hmm. but I don't know. And all, I don't know. There was another thing with True Detective where, isn't there a videotape of them molesting a girl or killing her or something? Like, isn't that the great horrific final thing? And then you see him watching it and he's like, no! Like, yeah. the, like that's not how you react to it. Like, you just turn it, like, I don't know. <laughs> so again, it was kind of like the David Fincher penis, penis sword <laughs> device where it's kind of like, it just feels a little... A little chintzy, almost. I don't know. Yeah, I think every every sort of uh, serial killer cliche was was um, on 
was on that show. Yeah, totally. Uh, including the sexy dead lady. Yeah, right. I mean, it opens with the sexy dead yeah, lady. And right. the credits the... are sexy dead ladies. Like, right, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Kaleidoscoping across yeah, the yeah. screen. Um, I did not watch the second season. I think I watched one episode and I was like, this sucks and stopped watching it. So Right, okay. So the other thing that I liked about Zodiac that, that he didn't put in it, which is one of the cliches that I hate the most, which is like men becoming furious about the treatment of women so in the true detective they, they watch a girl being molested or whatever and it's like oh, i have to go punch some guys in the face right, right? like yeah, i have yeah, to go yeah. be have like all this um white savior uh white knight bullshit um deep within me that it has to come out and they don't do it in zodiac it's not because it's women it's just because it's um murder in any way it, it doesn't have that sort of protective um angle right and they uh, it's not that they don't want to catch him it's just that i guess in ruffalo's case toshi's case right he's never like I'm, i don't care chief i'm gonna go hunt him down i'm gonna dress up as a woman and walk around until you know whatever and then i'm gonna punch his face in you're right but again that's why i like it because like spotlight it's people doing their job it's yeah. competence porn yeah. you know it's like yeah. it's process process movie and and obviously you want to talk about destructive destructive strands of american pop culture or the construction of the american imagination the lone wolf dirty harry i mean it's great actually that they have that scene where where they're both watching dirty harry yeah which was based on the zodiac but mm -hmm. but completely takes everything that's i mean very deliberately that's about the rogue cop who just goes out and fucking shoots whoever he wants to bring justice to the world yeah. you know which as we've learned is like not us <laughs> That's unsustainable and incredibly <laughs> dangerous to our society, right? Yeah, yeah. And the Zodiac guys, to their credit, are playing by the rules, basically, and just trying to get the job done. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, a, I, it's an interesting contrast. I can't prove this. Just because you can't prove it doesn't mean it's not true. Easy, dirty, Harry. Fincher very deliberately shows the Hollywoodization of this real story and maybe maybe i'm reading too much into it but maybe he's showing or he's commenting on those dangerous mythologies of the lone white white guy savior yeah because those dirty hairy movies that's disgusting and then you got fucking those death wish i mean jesus christ that stuff is so bad and now we have the punisher on on netflix yeah, which I, is mass murder as um some something right. i don't know if i have more things to say about zodiac i feel like i mean it is very hard for me to understand while watching it and then doubly so when remembering it, like why certain breakthroughs come when they do. Like, why is it at the very end of the movie that they track down the girl who was at the painting party of the first victim, the girl in prison mm -hmm. who confirms that it was Lee, which is a great goosebump moment. Yeah. Uh, when he's when Jake Gyllenhaal is pressing her to to name um, Rick Marshall, right, right, right? Who's the other guy? Now he's down the Rick Marshall rabbit hole, and she's mm -hmm. like, "No, it's Lee." That's 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 classic. Uh, not a horror movie, but that. I like when those I like those moments of realization in a movie when it gives you the same burst of energy as like a moment of violence or a moment of action, but it's a moment of um, revelation or intellectual understanding. That stuff is great. And Zodiac, that's the pleasures of mysteries, I guess. Right? It's like mm -hmm. aha, you know. And Zodiac has a couple of good moments of that. But I don't remember why that happens so late in the movie, and I don't remember anyway. I think it was her name had been changed or something. Well, maybe it's that. And maybe also, you know, it's just like, that's life. Like, 
stuff comes up, you're like, you know, could have used that information two years ago or whatever, you know, the yeah. messiness of it, right? Yeah. The, the messiness and this, like I said, like the sludginess of it is what I take away from the movie. Yeah. And the, and really the dreaminess of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, just, just the feeling it, it gives me and that it, ne- I never, for a movie where it is just a lot of talking and phone calls and stuff like it always holds my interest all the way through. And that, I guess, is a real credit to David Fincher, you mm-hmm. know. But, like, Social Network is like that, but I never need to see that movie again. Right, you know, yeah. Zodiac, this is probably, like I said, the fourth time I've watched it. And I would probably watch it again if it came on. But And, obviously, Social Network has a lot of the same feeling mm-hmm. and a lot of the same coolness and, and deliberation and intelligence. But I, w- I could not imagine ever watching uh, Social Network again. Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.